Job positions himself as a man of integrity while condemning God with accusations of being unjust. It's Job chapters 23 through 28 and Isaiah chapter 30, here on Commuter Bible. This is Commuter Bible, the audio Bible reading plan to match your weekly schedule. I'm your host, John Ross. It won't be long before Job receives a proper rebuke from Elihu and then from God himself. But until that time comes, Job continues to vent and express frustration with the situation he finds himself in. His friends keep telling him to repent of his evil, assuming that his sin is the cause of his state. Meanwhile, Job continues to declare himself as pure, which is also untrue, but in his state of despair, he can't see his self-righteous posture. Job thinks so highly of himself that he unabashedly accuses God of not executing justice properly, and in so doing, exalts himself above his maker. Job chapters 23 through 28. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew how to find him, so that I could go to his throne. I would plead my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn how he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he prosecute me forcefully? No, he would certainly pay attention to me. Then an upright man could reason with him, and I would escape from my judge forever. If I go east, he is not there, and if I go west, I cannot perceive him. When he is at work to the north, I cannot see him. When he turns south, I cannot find him. Yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. My feet have followed in his tracks. I have kept to his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands from his lips. I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. But he is unchangeable. Who can oppose him? He does what he desires. He will certainly accomplish what he has decreed for me, and he has many more things like these in mind. Therefore, I am terrified in his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not destroyed by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. Why does the Almighty not reserve times for judgment? Why do those who know Him never see His days? The wicked displace boundary markers. They steal a flock and provide pasture for it. They drive away the donkeys owned by the fatherless and take the widow's ox as collateral. They push the needy off the road. The poor of the land are forced into hiding. Like wild donkeys in the wilderness, the poor go out to their task of foraging for food. 
The desert provides nourishment for their children. They gather their fodder in the field and glean the vineyards of the wicked. Without clothing, they spend the night naked, having no covering against the cold. Drenched by mountain rains, they huddle against the rocks, shelterless. The fatherless infant is snatched from the breast. The nursing child of the poor is seized as collateral. Without clothing, they wander about naked. They carry sheaves, but go hungry. They crush olives in their presses. They tread the wine presses, but go thirsty. From the city, men groan. The mortally wounded cry for help, yet God pays no attention to this crime. The wicked are those who rebel against the light. They do not recognize its ways or stay on its paths. The murderer rises at dawn to kill the poor and needy, and by night he becomes a thief. The adulterer's eye watches for twilight, thinking, No eye will see me, and he covers his face. In the dark they break into houses. By day they lock themselves in, never experiencing the light. For the morning is like darkness to them. Surely they are familiar with the terrors of darkness. They float on the surface of the water. Their section of the land is cursed, so that they never go to their vineyards. As dry ground and heat snatch away the melted snow, so Sheol steals those who have sinned. The womb forgets them. Worms feed on them. They are remembered no more. So injustice is broken like a tree. They prey on the childless woman who is unable to conceive and do not deal kindly with the widow. Yet God drags away the mighty by his power. When he rises up, they have no assurance of life. He gives them a sense of security so they can rely on it, but his eyes watch over their ways. They are exalted for a moment, then gone. They are brought low and shrivel up like everything else. They wither like heads of grain. If this is not true, then who can prove me a liar and show that my speech is worthless? Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, 
dominion and dread belong to him, the one who establishes harmony in his heights. Can his troops be numbered? Does his light not shine on everyone? How can a man be justified before God? How can one born of woman be pure? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less a human who is a maggot, a son of man who is a worm? Then Job answered, How you have helped the powerless and delivered the arm that is weak. How you have counseled the unwise and abundantly provided insight. With whom did you speak these words? Whose breath came out of your mouth? The departed spirits tremble beneath the waters and all that inhabit them. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches the northern skies over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the water in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst beneath its weight. He obscures the view of his throne, spreading his cloud over it. He laid out the horizon on the surface of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars that hold up the sky tremble, astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stirred the sea, and by his understanding he crushed Rahab. By his breath the heavens gained their beauty. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. These are but the fringes of his ways. How faint is the word we hear of him. Who can understand his mighty thunder? Job continued his discourse, saying, As God lives, who has deprived me of justice, and the Almighty who has made me bitter, as long as my breath is still in me and the breath from God remains in my nostrils, my lips will not speak unjustly and my tongue will not utter deceit. I will never affirm that you are right. I will maintain my integrity until I die. I will cling to my righteousness and never let it go. My conscience will not accuse me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked, and my opponent like the unjust. For what hope does the godless person have when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes on him? Will he delight in the Almighty? Will he call on God at all times? I will teach you about God's power. I will not conceal what the Almighty has planned. All of you have seen this for yourselves. Why do you keep up with this empty talk? This is a wicked man's lot from God, the inheritance the ruthless receive from the Almighty. 
even if his children increase. They are destined for the sword. His descendants will never have enough food. Those who survive him will be buried by the plague, yet their widows will not weep for them. Though he piles up silver like dust and heaps up fine clothing like clay, he may heap it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide up his silver. The house he built is like a moth's cocoon or shelter set up by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, it is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A storm wind sweeps him away at night. An east wind picks him up and he is gone. It carries him away from his place. It blasts at him without mercy while he flees desperately from its force. It claps its hands at him and scoffs at him from its place. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the ground and copper is smelted from ore. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. He cuts a shaft far from human habitation, in places unknown to those who walk above ground. Suspended far away from people, the miners swing back and forth. Food may come from the earth, but below the surface the earth is transformed as by fire. Its rocks are a source of lapis lazuli containing flecks of gold. No bird of prey knows that path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts have never walked on it. No lion has ever prowled over it. The miner uses a flint tool and turns up ore from the root of the mountains. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes spot every treasure. He dams up the streams from flowing, so that he may bring to light what is hidden. But where can wisdom be found? And where is understanding located? No one can know its value, since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, it's not in me, while the sea declares, I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it, and silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Gold and glass do not compare with it, and articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Topaz from Cush cannot compare with it, and it cannot be valued in pure gold. Where, then, does wisdom come from? And where is understanding located? 
It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and Death say, We have heard news of it with our ears. But God understands the way to wisdom, and He knows its location. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when He established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, He considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. Isaiah chapter 30 Woe to the rebellious children. This is the Lord's declaration. They carry out a plan, but not mine. They make an alliance, but against my will, piling sin on top of sin. Without asking my advice, they set out to go down to Egypt in order to seek shelter under Pharaoh's protection and take refuge in Egypt's shadow. But Pharaoh's protection will become your shame, and refuge in Egypt's shadow, your humiliation. For though his princes are at zone, and his messengers reach as far as Hanes, everyone will be ashamed because of a people who can't help. They are of no benefit. They are no help. They are good for nothing but shame and disgrace. A pronouncement concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of trouble and distress, of lioness and lion, of viper and flying serpent, they carry their wealth on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people who will not help them. Egypt's help is completely worthless. Therefore, I call her Rahab, who just sits. Go now, write it on a tablet in their presence, and inscribe it on a scroll. It will be for the future, forever and ever. They are a rebellious people, deceptive children, children who do not want to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, Do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Leave the pathway. Rid us of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the Holy One of Israel says, Because you have rejected this message and have trusted in oppression and deceit and have depended on them, This iniquity of yours will be like a crumbling gap, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse will come in an instant, suddenly. Its collapse will be like the shattering of a potter's jar, 
crushed to pieces, so that not even a fragment of pottery will be found among its shattered remains. No fragment large enough to take fire from a hearth or scoop water from a cistern. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. But you are not willing. You say, No, we will escape on horses. Therefore you will escape, and we will ride on fast horses. But those who pursue you will be faster. One thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will flee until you remain like a solitary pole on a mountaintop or a banner on a hill. Therefore the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for Him are happy. For people will live on Zion in Jerusalem. You will never weep again. He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. As soon as He hears, He will answer you. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression. But your teacher will not hide any longer. Your eyes will see your teacher. And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Then you will defile your silver-plated idols and your gold-plated images. You will throw them away like minstrel cloths and call them filth. Then he will send rain for your seed that you have sown in the ground, and the food, the produce of the ground, will be rich and plentiful. On that day, your cattle will graze in open pastures. The oxen and donkey that work the ground will eat salted fodder scattered with winnowing shovel and fork. Streams flowing with water will be on every high mountain and every raised hill on the day of great slaughter when the towers fall. The moonlight will be as bright as the sunlight, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven days, on the day that the Lord bandages His people's injuries and heals the wounds He inflicted. Look, the name of the Lord is coming from far away. His anger, burning and heavy with smoke. His lips are full of fury, and his tongue is like a consuming fire. His breath is like an overflowing torrent that rises to the neck. He comes to sift the nations in a sieve of destruction, and to put a bridle on the jaws of the people to lead them astray. Your singing will be like that on the night of a holy festival, and your heart will rejoice like one who walks to the music of a flute, going up to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel, 
and the Lord will make the splendor of his voice heard and reveal his arm striking in angry wrath and a flame of consuming fire in driving rain, a torrent and hailstones. Assyria will be shattered by the voice of the Lord. He will strike with a rod and every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord brings down on him will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. He will fight against him with brandished weapons. Indeed, Topheth has been ready for the king for a long time. Its funeral pyre is deep and wide, with plenty of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a torrent of burning sulfur, kindles it. Many of you have already visited our website, commuterbible.org, but if you haven't, I just wanted you to know there are a number of resources available there to you, including the episodes page. You can go straight to it by going to commuterbible.org slash episodes. There you can find every episode of Commuter Bible by books of the Bible, so Genesis to Revelation, or if you scroll down even further, you'll see episodes by order in the reading plan. Those are available so that you can listen to other parts of the Bible during the year. Today's episode was narrated and orchestrated by me, John Ross, and co-produced by Bobby Brown, Caitlin Pridgen, Eric Williamson, and the Christian Standard Bible. Thanks for listening, and remember, happy is the one whose delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. <laughs>